Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Jermaine Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager and Malaysia Team Lead. From internal changes to being called in for questioning, this year has been action-packed from start to finish for New Narrative. On the final episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches for 2020, PJ and I sit down and look back at the year New Narrative has had, the highs, the lows, and the lessons we've learned. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. From now until Christmas, you can get a 25% off discount with the code CHRISTMAS20. Check out our website at newnarrative.com for more information and stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's our interview. So yeah, it's the end of 2020. What a year, right? Oh, man. I mean, I, I keep telling people that the beginning of this year feels both like yesterday and like five million years ago. Like, I, it's it, it's yeah. like, I don't know, time has gone very funny um, where things that have happened only last month feel like a really long time ago. Uh, but we actually started this year with a face-to-face retreat with the entire new narrative team, which... First and only time we've all been in the same place. Exactly. Um, and that was the first time I met our deputy editor, Matt, Elena, our design editor. Yeah, I th- that was the first time that I met them. Um, and a lot has changed since. So, yeah, what was it like for you meeting everyone in person for that first time? Uh, well, you know, for me, I, I had met everyone before that, uh, except for Matt. I think Kirsten was the only one who had met Matt before that because uh, Matt organized that uh, workshop for us in Phnom Penh last, uh, I was about to say last year. It is last year. Yes, 2019 is last year. <laughs> yeah, but I had met everyone else, but it was very, uh, it, it was it was great being in the same place as everyone and being able to talk so directly to everyone and being able to just uh, have quick uh, conversations um, at the same time I was I remember being really tired throughout the entire thing and really struggling with um, a bit of over- overstimulation because I you know I'm very introverted and so for me it was a bit of a struggle to actually deal with so many people in the same place and it's a bit different when you're a participant versus when you're the leader. You know, uh, you feel a lot more pressure to to set an example and to kind of set the tone and set the, you know, overall mood of the thing. So um, I just remember being really stressed out and very relieved when everything went smoothly and it was all over. Um, did you did you manage to like how did, how did you feel about karaoke at the end of the retreat? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, karaoke was great. I always loved karaoke. Um, and karaoke was very revealing because, like, uh, it, it, it showed sides of the team that um, we hadn't really seen before, but also revealed things which um, I think good and bad things about our team members. Um, so I remember looking around karaoke and seeing like how people were responding to each other and reacting to each other um, you know which people were really uh, like leading in the sense of trying to get other people participate who was holding back and um, you know who was like making an effort and who wasn't 
Um, so a lot of these things, right? People are very different and they, they react differently, respond differently and that diversity is great. Uh, and you could see all of that reflected in the in 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 karaoke as everyone was having fun and um, and it was uh, when I look back on the year uh, that karaoke actually was very revealing about certain things that uh, you know people that certain things that ended up happening later in the year. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, right? <laughs> like hindsight is 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 twenty twenty, as they say. Um, but uh, you know, looking back on that karaoke session, I feel like it did reveal certain things about um, everyone that uh, then played out um, over the course of the year. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if anyone out there is listening, I think I think it's a good idea uh, to bring your take your whole company out to do something fun together uh, that has nothing to do with work, and you can actually learn a lot. Uh, you know, there's team bonding and, and having fun and all that's important. But I think if you watch how people interact, you can actually learn quite a bit about your team as well. Yeah, I think I think everybody's song choices were very interesting. Um, and I mean, I know you a little bit, PJ, so like I wasn't surprised by yours, but I think other people who don't know you, who think of you as Dr. PJ Thumb, um, yeah you know, might be surprised by some of your song choices. I made it mm. a I made it a question in the members newsletter. I was like Oh right, yeah, I remember. I was like, you can win a tote if you guess two of PJ's song choices. Um one, shall I reveal them? Or should oh, I Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um well I have nothing to hide. <laughs> the the maybe the more on brand one I think was Frank Sinatra on brand in that mm-hmm. like I think that's what people might expect from you if they don't mm. know you and the um the one that maybe might surprise people is Taylor Swift. Mm. For yeah. those who don't know, PJ is a very big Taylor Swift fan. Yeah. Um when when uh, my my worst breakup ever, um, you know, Sinatra, Frank, uh, Frank Sinatra got me through a lot of it. But the other song that really helped me get through, uh, through it was Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. So, you know, these are, are deeply emotionally meaningful songs to me. I love it. Um, and it's, <laughs> you know, and it's always funny for me because, you know, I call you PJ, um, and like sometimes when we we get emails from people who don't know you well and they cc me on it for whatever reason and they're like dr thumb and i'm just i don't know it cracks me up because like i know you better and you know i never call you that and i also know that you're a big taylor swift fan so it's like sometimes Mm. funny when i read those emails um yeah but anyway (laughs) (laughs) that was the last time we were all together we had plans to meet again in april i think yeah, maybe overambitious. I was hoping we could meet like every quarter, but uh, even at that time, I was thinking every quarter might be too much, maybe half a year or something. But then, of course, 2020 happened. And right. We haven't met since. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even, you know, I haven't seen Mincy, who's in the Malaysia team for the majority of this year um, because of, of COVID. So, and that's, you know, that's really defined this year. A lot of people had a drastic change in how they worked because of the pandemic. But, you know, we've always worked online. 
we've always worked from home so we didn't actually experience that that drastic shift that other people have so i mean yeah physically it nothing really changed but i feel like there are still ways in which it affected us you know as a team do, i mean do you feel that way like that even though we all stayed working from home like we've always worked from home that the pandemic in some way still shifted things yeah i mean definitely um i think it affected me very much in the sense that i was traveling a lot to different members of the team um at least once a month i was either going to kl medan or jakarta to meet with people on the team right and try to um i think i was substituting sort of this quick personal connection and hashing things out quickly with people over lunch or coffee and then you know fly in work out issues fly out um and and that was actually a substitute for actually making everything a lot clearer uh and uh in terms of our internal communication in terms of our internal strategy and you know uh internal information sharing and so from my point of view and i think uh, if you ask minsi she she would concur is that the pandemic forced us to be a lot better at communicating online uh because problems could no longer be patched up uh or issues could no longer be resolved or decisions could no longer be made by me simply flying from singapore to kl medan or jakarta having a you know 4 5 hour chat and flying back um or something like that right um and we also had to you know externally take all of our events uh online it accelerated uh, a digital transformation that we were um already thinking about uh and i think of course for most people this was a very drastic transformation for us it wasn't we were already doing things so much online but definitely um i think the the main change for me was just becoming a lot better at communicating digitally uh when you know that there's no alternative and and uh you can't see anyone in person and have no idea when they're going to you're going to see them again you got to just be very good at um laying things out and typing everything out and communication yeah definitely was there a really big challenge for you in in like kind of navigating the company during this pandemic or challenge i i mean i think our major challenges were very pretty much the same uh as before the pandemic uh they just adapted to the pandemic and the most obvious massive challenge was funding um and in in normal circumstances there are lots of grants that we apply for because member revenue is only about a third of uh, our overall revenue um and about half in fiscal year 2019 half of our revenue came from grants but in uh in this past year our grants were slashed very sharply and uh consequently we had to reach out to our members to um and and to our audience to try and increase membership 
and to try and increase donations. And they responded magnificently. And we reached our final goal uh, of raising 75,000 US dollars by June 30th very quickly. So it, it, it probably marks a, a permanent shift in new narrative in that we are going to do a fundraising drive and talk to our members and membership drive every year uh, and focus more on um, talking directly to the people who read our stuff and, and who use uh, our output and for whom it's making our output is making a direct difference rather than big grant funders. Um, and um, we learned a lot from that. So it's, it was both challenge and opportunity and uh, a learning experience. I think we learned a lot from it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I feel kind of weird saying this to you, Deborah, since you're <laughs> membership engagement manager. So you're the one who led a lot of this and you're the, you're, you're the expert rather than me, you know. But uh, yeah, that was the biggest challenge, just like worrying about funding and whether we'd survive. And we've survived and uh, you know we're gonna keep surviving. I hope. Yeah. We'll keep fighting. I mean, we not only. I mean, we covered beyond operation expenses. We had a little over, which let us have a freelancer emergency fund, which is very important. Um, and we also got money to do audience research, which is. You know, I, I had really been hoping to get training to do membership engagement because it's a, a very new field for me. And I felt very kind of out of my depth sometimes because I my background is creative writing. Mm. And, you know, it's really not... I was actually surprised when Splice uh, invited you and then you were like, oh, I've only been doing this for like a year and a half or whatever. And they're like, the whole field has only existed for two years. And I was like, what, really? Exactly. I was just like, <laughs> that I've really, you know, like since Splice, since I was invited by Splice to speak to them, um, you know, that that's shifted my perspective on my job so much that membership engagement roles have only existed for about two years and it's going to be one of the most important jobs in media that was mind-blowing for me to realize and yeah so I mean I, I guess you know I've been like oh I, I really hope I can learn more and and finding out that everybody else is sort of in the same boat learning how to do this um, has been really it's given me a lot of confidence i think to to keep doing this job so um yeah i, I feel really grateful for that and like the surveying stuff that we did um has been really useful i have like a, a roadmap on how to do that going forward so yeah i think this yeah. is something it's a constant theme because uh i've had people say to me oh we we need to learn from you you know learn from new narrative about uh membership membership revenue about uh, running a business entirely online, communicating online. And I'm always like so surprised because I'm like, Re really? Like we're, we're struggling, you know, we only get 40%, 35% of revenue from members. You know, we, um, I feel like are really inefficient online and there's so many things we could do better. And then it's explained to me that uh, compared to conventional businesses, Con, uh, you know, and uh, or even just uh, conventional media organizations were way, way ahead in terms of percentage of income from revenue or in terms of the number of our operations which are online and how we communicate online and, and all that. And so I guess 
you know, I, I we it's human. We we see the problems, we see the challenges, but then when other organizations look at us, actually, there's a lot that we've done and um, uh, you know just figured out that they could learn from, and and we're actually not so bad after all. Yeah, I think like we all have this tendency to get bogged down in like our own problems, and you lose perspective. Um, you know, and speaking of problems, one of our major problems this year, I don't know, I'll, I'll ask you this and you see whether it's a problem or not, um, was that we got pothmud more than once um, by mm-hmm. the Singaporean government. You know, the we got hit with the fake, the so-called fake news law. And, you know, the second, was it the second or third time that we got hit with one you were brought in for questioning uh, oh, no, no, those are, those are separate things. So uh, we were puffed twice, but we also had a police report filed against us right. by the Prime Minister's office for, um, what was it, violating election advertising law. Right, yeah. So all of it's, it, you know, bullshit, basically, pardon my language. But uh, the fact is, this is a Singapore government which is very much threatened by organizations which uh, publish factual information independently of the government-controlled media which uh, try and organize people together to create positive change and to fight for their rights. And we fit in all those categories. And so they had to find ways of coming after us that uh, somehow fit into their uh, you know, rhetoric of rule of law. So they passed uh, POFMA to uh, specifically crack down on organizations like us. At least that's, that's what I've argued. And... Um, we warned for a long time that they would specifically use POFMA against a uh, new narrative against online citizen Asia you know, and other comparable independent media organizations and they did and so it's not su- surprising but it was very annoying because um, you know, as you know Deborah, the way they communicate with us was really it was uh, almost almost um, it was very, very antagonistic and in a way almost designed to, uh, you know, dare you not to cooperate, to make you angry, to make you feel powerless, to make you feel small. It was very condescending, you know. So there's there's sort of different things, right? First of all, there's a, a, a law which is, uh, which violates all sorts of uh, principles about human rights, freedom of expression, good governance, uh, you know, um, the transparency and accountability of government. And then second, you enforce the law in such a way which, uh, you know, you, you, you look down sneering at people and you, you sort of use the law as this big hammer to crush them um, as if you, you aren't already such an incredibly, incredibly powerful government, right? You have to, to enforce it in a way which is um, so horribly offensive, and then, of course, there was the the elections advertising law. Again, you know, I've warned about such laws for a long time because the laws are so arbitrary and um, they used it against us, um, claiming we had, because we boosted posts on Facebook during the election period, it was a violation of the law. When government-controlled media companies like Asia One, Asia One boosted 148 posts during the election period and the government said nothing. You know, 148 directly related to the election, something like, what, 250 overall. We boast, boosted 13 posts and the government came after us for five. You know, what, what is the difference? Well, 
one is government control and one is not, right? And then uh, they hauled me in for questioning, kept me there four and a half hours, no food, and then uh, came in uh, to my home, took my phone, took my laptop. You know, it was a profoundly unpleasant experience. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, things have only gotten worse in Singapore because now they're prosecuting Jolivan Wam for holding up a sign with a smiley face on it for three seconds and taking a photo and they're saying that is a, a one-man political protest. I mean, the, the nonsense, right? This government is just making Singapore a laughing stock. Um, but it really shows the need for, for new narrative to keep up our work, that they are running scared, they're terrified of the, the truth and we publish the truth and uh, you know the fact that they've had to use these nonsense laws against us rather than uh, been able to actually show that something that we reported was inaccurate or fraudulent or wrong right or in you know in a properly in a properly governed country the government will come out with its own position and have a debate and say you know oh we disagree and here's why and here's the evidence and here's our position and we could have a proper debate and i've invited all PAP MPs, any one of them to join me on my podcast uh, or, or any other format really to have a debate and they won't do it. So they can't win the argument and they can't prove that we're wrong. So they resort to all these nonsense laws and that's been the big challenge. Um, you know, dealing with it takes so much time and effort because you have to ensure that you're in complete compliance and, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's and um, I'm still answering emails from early September. You know, the police raid happened on 18 September. Uh, and so any email that arrived just before that, the, the sort of two weeks before that, I, I just, I, I, you know, kind of just got uh, forgotten for a long time. So I'm still answering emails from early September, apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry. You know, I just had so much to deal with. And I just could not catch up on it because it's just so much, you know, you got to talk to lawyers, figure out your... And of course, internally, right, we have all our security protocols, making sure that we didn't lose any information, we didn't um, get hacked, nothing. So, yeah, it, it really slows you down. It really makes your life difficult and, and, and tiring. And, and that's before you even get to the trauma of having your home invaded, you know, by, by police officers and... Um, I mean, my son's been making a joke out of it because he, every time he walks near my desk, he'll, he'll suddenly shout out anti-government slogans very loudly and then wink at me and, and indicate like, yeah, they're listening. They planted a bug, you know, that's his running joke. They planted a bug in your desk, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad your family has a sense of humor about it. Um, did, <laughs> have you gotten your laptop back, by the way? No, no, no. They're just ignoring me now. Now it's in the, you know, first it was the scare you and take your stuff. Now it's the make your life difficult by ignoring you. So no response to my email. And then when I call and I managed to get the investigating officer, he'll say, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. We still need your laptop and phone for investigation. And I remind him, they told me that they would have uh, my stuff back to me within like three days or a week at the most, right? <laughs> now it's been, uh, what, three months and still nothing but this is typical they'll hold it for another nine twelve months and then you know quietly give it back to me right. after the point has been made yeah. yeah i mean it's so interesting to me working with you and seeing how singapore goes after people for press freedom you know 
I think in Malaysia, we complain a lot about how we have an authoritarian government. And I mean, you know, in February, mm. we had a coup in Malaysia, which led to the end of the first time we'd had uh, an opportunity for a more democratic government, right? We had yeah. Pakatan Harapan in, in 2018, and there was this, you know, great hope in Malaysia that things were going to get better. And I mean, you know, the, there's a, there were a lot of things Pakatan Harapan did wrong, but I think we were also seeing um, positive changes in some ways, and some ministers and politicians were actually really um, committed to doing positive things. And, um, but yeah, all of that changed in February. And, you know, it's funny because at, at the time of our retreat in January, we had said that Malaysia was the safest place for the team, you know, mm. or for new narrative yeah. to operate because under Pakatan Harapan, there was more media freedom and so on. But obviously, the, the, the things, have, things have changed so much since then. You know, we've gone back to journalists being called in for questioning and... Um, activists being called in for questioning. I mean, I and yet at the same time, I still think that it is freer than it is in Singapore. Um, mm. My sense is that Malaysians have more practice being dissident. <laughs> well, Malaysians yeah. have more practice standing up to their government um, yeah. than yeah, Singaporeans. You have a bigger country, you have multi layers of government, you don't have the same unitary government, which has managed to concentrate power you know entirely in its hands you still have the states um but you also have a very different structure and setup uh and the different parties you've never had a unitary party you know so you've got so many opportunities for uh resistance and disagreement and leveraging through all these cracks that uh singaporeans you know the fact is we're a very tiny island and a very tiny country and so we are in some ways quite unique because that that size makes it so easy to control things right so it's not just about a government being effective or efficient uh and you know and, and when malaysians say to me oh you know your government's so effective and efficient i wish ours was more like that i'm like well yeah they're effective and efficient at good things but they're also effective and efficient at bad things yeah right and do you really want those bad <laughs> things to be very effectively done too um, but of course, it, we're a tiny, you know, we're very, very tiny. And uh, that actually really helps. And, and what uh, I think uh, I've, I've observed, right, um, is that even, say, foreign embassies of other Southeast Asian countries whom we might stereotype as being inefficient countries, the Singapore embassies of those countries are very efficiently run because of it's it's the nature of Singapore when you're small and highly developed, right, and well connected through centuries of being a port, and there's so much wealth uh, because you're a you know offshore uh, you're a tax haven, right, offshore uh, financial center, things just become easier. So it's you know I bet the Malaysian embassy or high commission rather is very well run here compared to. You know the the others. It's just the nature of of this island. Um, so to to come back to your point, yeah, you have so much more space in Malaysia and so much more practice. You know, so sometimes as a Singaporean running this organization, I feel I have so much to learn from Malaysians and how you've been able to actually effect a peaceful transition of power 
technically twice, right? Both transitions were peaceful. Um, whereas Singapore, we've we've never had one since we became independent, and other countries can only seem to do it through violence, right? Coups uh, or riots, protests in um, the Philippines, Indonesia, or Thailand, right? Uh, but Malaysia, you did it peacefully, and that's a huge, huge achievement, and it means you can do it again peacefully, yeah, which is great. I yeah, I, I mean, I really think you know, I mean, I think the thing I'm most grateful for this year is that I work with people who share my values and, um, you know, have a lot of idealism and, and that they can make positive change, you know. Um, and I think, I, to me, that's the biggest lesson, that the people around you that you work with are the most important, right? And especially at New Narrative, where it's such a small team. Um, and, I mean, as a team, we've experienced some, you know, big staff changes. At the start of it, we had Kirsten, who was a co-founder in our first EIC step down and pursue other projects and Aisha Llewellyn's tenure has also recently ended um, and people have left but at the same time we've had some really incredible additions to the team I feel like missing puzzle pieces we've had Eric join marketing and Yipong come on as social media manager like how do you feel about all these structural changes well you know first of all like when um Eric or Yipeng joined or others joined, they talked about how um, New Narrative was such an incredible workplace and uh, offered them the kind of um, solidarity, support, uh, understanding, you know, and they, they had these nightmare stories about previous places where all sorts of exploitation and abuse went on. And I was like, how is the, this world you know, and, and especially capitalism, so horribly corrosive that exploitation is, is, is so normal, right? That a place like New Narrative, where I feel like everything we do is basic human decency and dignity and respect. And yet, people praise us so much for being special, you know, treating our employees, our uh, um content creators right the writers the artists you know just the fact that we try and pay everyone within 48 hours is is praiseworthy and i'm like i mean how is that praiseworthy if someone does a service for you you pay them if you go to a 7-eleven you buy a loaf of bread you pay for it on the spot you don't say you know send me an invoice and then i will pay you in a couple of months you know but why is it we can treat human beings that way and we can't treat goods that way. So I, I just, trying to just run an organization on important basic uh, principles of human dignity and respect already seems so revolutionary. And that every time someone new joins us and we're told like, oh, you guys do it so much better than the previous place I worked at, it just, it still, it still surprises me. Um, it shouldn't, I suppose, but I, I suppose I'm way too optimistic uh, and idealistic about human nature. Uh, but, you know, I think that there have to be other good companies out there. Um, and then I think all these structural changes are, are um, overall, you know, one thing I've learned is that change happens and people grow and they change and they move on. And... Um, 
it's really important to help facilitate that process of people growing and changing. Uh, and I know that there are people in the team now who will grow and change and want to move on and, and further their studies and uh, you know, uh, look for bigger challenges uh, or even start their own thing. And that's great. And um, I think uh, it's, it's always a challenge integrating someone new uh, but new people bring new ideas and um, they bring new perspectives, right? Thus, our ongoing search right now for a new editor-in-chief and the interviews we've had show very different ideas and perspectives in terms of how the organization can grow. And it's forced us to think a lot about that. So again, it's, it's always uh, disruptive when someone leaves and sometimes it's, it's sad if you don't want them to leave, you know, and, and, but they decide to go anyway and, you know, you've enjoyed working with them or they're important to you or, you know, you value them uh, and you don't want them to go and it's, it's sad when they go. But it's also an opportunity for growth and change um, and, and that should be welcomed and embraced and an opportunity to reevaluate the organization uh, and how we're doing things and, and um, you know, how we're functioning internally. So I've tried to look at it both ways. Uh, and, you know, for every person who's come in and uh, we have felt, okay, you're not a good fit, you know, we're, we're going to move on. Um, some people, you know, uh, didn't even make it through the, the sort of three-month trial period that we have at the start and other people it became clear after six months whatever that it wasn't working you know for every I mean the, the, it's, it's kind of inevitable right so I'm trying to you know the first time I had to fire someone it was it was heart-wrenching um, but now I, I realize it's also important to be honest with people if things are not working out um, and um and people appreciate that and they appreciate the feedback and they appreciate opportunities to grow and learn and they appreciate, you know, you being straight with them. Uh, but yeah, for everyone who I've had to fire, we've also had someone, actually more than, the, the ratio has been overwhelmingly in favor of people who've come in and really made a big difference, brought in energy, brought in ideas, brought in new perspectives, you know, and I think Eric and Ipeng are, are um, exemplars of, of, of that because they really help transform how we do things internally. And I love the ideas and energy. And, you know, uh, hiring Eric was great. And I know I was, I was a bit worried about it because budget restrictions, right? Every person we bring on, we want to make sure we pay a fair wage, a living wage. We want to give them... Uh, some benefits, you know, things like that. Uh, and it's, it's um, you always want to make sure that you can afford it. Uh, but um, I, I think the, the people we've brought on uh, who have become part of the team have been, have done really, really well. So, yeah, yeah, you know, turnover is good and bad. It's opportunity and it's... Um, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of opportunities. So I, I try and, and look at it in and understand it both ways. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I, you know, I love everybody who is on the team right now. I think they're all amazing people to work with. And I think that, you know, yeah, I think Eric and Yipeng have been great additions to the team. And yeah, I'm excited of how with how we can collaborate with each other in the coming year. 
now with Yipeng on the team, like Malaysians are far outnumber everybody, <laughs> any other nationality on the on the team. Um, which you know, I, I'm Malaysia lead as well. In addition to membership engagement manager, and it's it's a managerial sort of or leadership position. And um, you know, I think I felt a little bit daunted at the beginning of the year, and you know, I had never had to lead people in a professional way, and um, except for a couple of interns in a previous job, but you know, this was a bit different. These people are my peers. Yeah, I mean, I I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed learning so much from my Malaysia team members, and I think they're all really great at their respective jobs, and you know, I think they've they've been extended me a lot of grace in me learning to be um, in a leadership role in the team. So, yeah, and I just feel lucky to 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 work with so many great people. Um, it's December now, so we've almost um, we've had. A, all things considered a successful year we've been in the black more than the red <laughs> um how do you how do you feel about where we are currently uh, very positive um we we've grown and evolved and learned so much i think we've actually done pretty well in taking advantage of all the crises this year to learn and grow from it whether it's the pandemic forcing us to be a lot more digital uh, and collaborative online, whether it's the Singapore government coming after us that has really uh, pushed us to up our game in terms of security and in terms of you know our internal policies, uh, and we've applied that learning to both Indonesia and Malaysia, right? So we're, we're very much better prepared. Uh, whether it's the staff turnover and um, you know uh, all sorts of things which have which have happened in in the natural course of running an organization, human resources has uh, forced us to think about our human resource policy and um, what you know how we uh, treat our our treat each other you know and how our team works together and. Uh, we've ref- really refined the employee handbook. I think it's a, still a work in progress, but uh, I think we've learned so much. And and what I think we should be pleased about is every time, you know, I think we feel exhausted from so many crises, right? Emotional, the the emotional and physical and time and financial resources are drained to deal with so many things. But ultimately, we have learned from all of them and grown stronger because of it. Um, and, and that's really all you can ask because it's, it's a f- it, it, it would be foolish to think that we will never have a crisis again. We'll never have you know, any sort of problem. No one's ever going to quit or leave or decide to move on to greener pastures, right? Um, that no government is ever going to come after us again. And of course that we're not going to run into a financial crisis again or that you know there's going to be problems in the world, um, whether it's a pandemic or climate crisis or whatever. Right? All of these things are going to happen to us, but now we're so much better prepared to deal with them, not just in terms of procedurally and institutionally, but also I think emotionally and in terms of... Uh, how our team uh, works together 
uh, we're so much better prepared. And and for me personally, I've learned so much about trying to, uh, you know, my, the main feedback I got out of January was, look, you need to do a better job being um, articulating and clarifying strategy. And um, I didn't do it as fast as I would have liked, but I think that I've started a process where we really clarify uh, strategy and direction and the uh the, the accountability and roles, but also making sure that everyone is doing an appropriate amount of work and not too much, right? That's our danger. Everyone wants to do too much. Um, everyone's so passionate. So I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. We have a long way to go, a lot, a lot to learn, but I think um, we have responded well to everything this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that we don't realize how much the pandemic weighs on you. Like it always compounds mm. and makes everything feel worse. Um, <laughs> I think I think we underestimate that the psychic toll it takes on us. Um, yeah, it's it's there even when you don't think it is. And um, um, yeah, I mean, in Malaysia, we've been in some form of like movement restriction or another most of the year and. Um, and the uncertainty of like what the rules are have really I think affected a lot of people it's been very frustrating for me to not know what can you can what can you and can you not do and where can you go (laughs) Um, that has been very frustrating Um, but yeah I think I think I think all things considered we've done pretty well and we had our second retreat online this time um and you know we got to discuss like the direction moving forward what we could be doing better what we individually want to do in our roles or how we want to grow professionally and you know and and you know shout out to mincy for organizing all the games and um Hmm. the informal sessions um mincy loves organized fun (laughs) she did a great job um how do you feel, you know, at the end of this retreat you know, versus like maybe the January one? Oh, so much better. Um, I think January, it was uh, the first time we were doing it and I felt so much pressure to get stuff done in the three days that we were together in Nagri Milan, you know, and uh, just to... Uh, make every second count because we had flown everyone in and it was the uh, everyone being together so I just I felt a lot of pressure to get stuff done get make it productive um, and then uh, I was I was just I, I mean so tired doing the whole thing um, and struggling to like deal with having so many people around me and constantly everyone looking to me uh, and I think that it's you know these things are an iterative process you can't expect to get them perfect every time you just need to get them better every time um and this time was definitely a lot better i learned a lot from the first one uh in particular that you know take the amount of time you need to do something and then double it that's that's really really important um and also to narrow it down to what matters uh and to focus on what you you know what needs to be done with everyone in the room and what can wait till uh you know it's just a few people 
in a side room and what can be done over email versus what can be done uh, when you're all together. So just um, in terms of uh, outcomes, in terms of process, uh, so much better. And in terms of getting everyone together on the same page, doing the same thing, in the same hitting in the same direction, you know, that's my, my biggest job as the managing director, as the, the CEO type person in the organization, I think. Uh, I think uh, I feel like we, you know, we've definitely better. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we haven't all seen each other for most of the year. And so I think it was, and we, and when we have our weekly team meetings, there's like very focused things we talk about. And so this was like the first time that we got to talk about, you know, more long-term plans and, you know, and, it, and also just to like have some scheduled downtime where we were doing more fun and informal things with each other i think it's also important like you said like things that aren't you know uh, about work um it's important to do that together as a team so you know we did performance reviews and mincy and i did your performance review and one of the things you said is that you're or it came, kind of came out in the retreat as like you you're you feel like one of your achievements this year is becoming a better leader um how have you how do you feel like you've changed as a leader first of all i think it's uh you know a lot of things i mentioned earlier right uh problems are going to happen problems when problems happen uh it's not always your fault sometimes problems just happen it's the nature of the um of the world you know nothing's ever perfect and nothing ever stays the same. Change is, you know, this too shall change, as I think, was it Sharpfuhr said, or maybe it was Solomon. Um, and you want to focus on dealing with it and learning from it and moving forward and keeping everyone together, moving forward in the same direction. Uh, so I think in previous years, I would take problems so personally and I feel like it was a personal failure. Um, but this time, I, I think, or, or at least now, I'm, I'm getting better at recognizing that the failure is not in problems arising, but in not dealing with them in a proper way, in an adequate way, in a way that brings everyone with you, you know, and so on and so forth. So that is, that is one thing. Uh, another thing is understanding your role as a leader because I think both you and Mincy uh, have pointed out uh, I don't delegate well and I you know always feel like okay I, I, I can just do this quickly it'll take more time to explain to someone else what they need to do right so I just end up like doing all sorts of stuff and so it's very important to delegate to make sure that people uh, understand the bigger picture are doing what they need to do. Uh, so I'm trying to create structures where you know it becomes all of that accountability and responsibility becomes clear, and focus on my accountability and responsibility, which is uh, you know strategic direction, uh, the organizational culture and values, right, the big picture. Um, you know, all of that sort of thing. That's what I I need to, and uh, you know, of course, all the paperwork, regulatory stuff, admin. I have to do all that too. So all, you know, that is why I need to focus on rather than, um, 
you know, ensuring that the text on this article is perfect or some, some, something like that, right? Um, other people, you got to trust people to do their, their job and let them do it. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's really important. Um, and, and then I think um, just understanding that, um, you know, it's, it's important to be seen as a leader, to interact with people, to, uh, to get to, to be, um, to, to ensure that you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, and that's really important. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm trying to talk to everyone a lot more just informally and understand. I'm reminded of, uh, uh, the the college chaplain at, at, at my Oxford college who um, made it a point to walk around the entire college and you know all the various uh, sites of the college um, at least once and the main sites at least twice a day to be visible because a lot of the most important things that arose uh, you know came just from people having, just random conversations with her and telling her, you know, uh, oh, by the way, this happened, you know. And being visible is very important as as a leader um, and being available. So so there's that. And that maybe is, is kind of the biggest challenge as an, as an introvert, uh, as someone who, you know, doesn't have a lot of... Uh, intuitive skill at, at working with people I think that's been that's been the biggest challenge so uh, you know communication and talking so so these things are some of the things I, I think I've improved a lot on and I'm working on yeah yeah I think yeah we've got um, chats with you scheduled more regularly I think that's important you know Mincy and I t- tend to be in touch with you quite a lot but I think some other members of the team not so much unless yeah unless i think we make time for it officially so i think i think that's going to be really good um highlights of the year best thing to happen worst thing to happen i i think the worst thing that happened really for me was not so much a disaster for the organization but emotionally kirsten deciding to leave and i fully understand why she decided to leave uh you know Run, running an organization has a huge amount of challenges and and personally like i i've been i've had uh, a lot of times where i you know as i love being a historian and i love being an activist and then running an organization you feel more like uh, an administrator and uh, you have to deal with so much work um that isn't related to the act of creation. It doesn't feel like related to the act creation. It doesn't feel like you're being an activist. Um, and I think for me, uh, I do miss a lot of that. And I'm trying to make sure I build in time to do that. Um, and there's a bigger picture involved. Um, and so uh, being able to uh, work on new narrative with Kirsten, a close friend and a fellow activist whom I will always respect was, you know, was great. And I, 
um, her deciding to leave was was very sad for me and for so for me personally. Um, and then I think that the um, various financial challenges were scary, but we dealt with them very well. I, uh, I I was actually very worried we wouldn't make it to the end of the year, but here we are and we're doing okay. So th- those were the biggest, most scary things. Um, I think the, you know, conversely, I think uh, how we dealt with the financial challenge uh, and the amount of support we got from our audience and from our members was fantastic. Um, and probably that was the most exciting thing. Uh, the sheer overall support that flowed in from so many quarters in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so, you know, our, our members are really just so supportive and so important to this whole thing. And I think that it was, uh, it's just amazing how people put their faith in us. So that was fantastic. I'm always blown away by how supportive our members are. You know, even when they can't contribute more financially than they already are, they are very willing to talk to us and offer skills. You know, they're like, I work in this field and maybe that might be useful or, you know, I, I like have this idea or I would like to volunteer in this way. And, um, you know, I mean, it's really, it's really encouraging and it's, it's, it's amazing to think that I think because of the remote nature of our um, our jobs, like you can feel isolated. But you know, it's it's good to remember that, yeah, the fundraising happened, and we are where we are because of our members and us and and our audience who who just like really rallied behind us in, in a very challenging financial year for everyone. And yet, people donated, people bought memberships for their friends, and you know shared our fundraising campaign and it was just really amazing um yeah and and, and what do you what can our members and our audience expect from us moving forward there's 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 several big things we want to do i think new narrative was founded very much to close the gap between information and action right you you get good information about the state of the world around you about the important issues that we're facing collectively and then you take action to create positive change and so we're going to put in a lot more effort into the action side of things uh, and increase our advocacy work around democracy and freedom of expression but also we're going to have a, a number of very exciting democracy classrooms. We're planning those already uh, focus on the theme of themes of democracy and especially Southeast Asian democracy. Uh, and also we're figuring out how we can help people learn better how to take action, you know, basic ideas about, you know, as I always say, like the, the um, creating political change in centuries of human history hasn't changed, right? The fundamental idea is very simple. It's organizing people around a, a set of ideas, a set of ideals, a set of principles, and then agreeing a common set of actions. So it's very simple. The difficult part is that it's very it's very difficult to organize people, right? It's very, it's simple, but it's very difficult. 
So uh, any way we can help smooth that and make that easier to people uh, and help them take the information we produce and create change, I think uh, we will. We are considering it and we're going to figure that out. So those are sort of the two big things that uh, I think we're thinking of moving forward. And then, of course, more of our... Uh, award-winning comics and our articles and uh, more videos from me hopefully uh, no definitely not hopefully definitely more videos from me you know more content um, and better engagement with members that's something we're also trying to work on yeah, yeah. which I mean I don't need to tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm really looking forward and I think having Yipeng on board to come up with ideas to plan things with um, that's going to be so helpful for me and I'm, yeah, I'm very excited about the democracy classrooms. I have um, planned them with and envisioned them with PJ. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited and, and how that will help people translate ideas into action. So one last thing before we go, um, any final messages for our members and audience? Oh, just a big, huge thank you. Thank you for everything, for your support, uh, both financial, but also emotional you know, uh, spiritual, thank you for listening to the podcast. You know, our members are uh, just so incredibly supportive. I have people reaching out to ask me how my mental health is. Uh, someone, you know, just gave me a ticket for uh, an online show, uh, an online play, and he said, you know, I, I think you this will help because you seem, you're dealing with so much and you seem stressed out and I want you to relax. So here's a ticket for an online play. It's tomorrow night, you know, and he said, please watch it. Um, you know, people just randomly reach out and, and ask how you're doing. And I think uh, they, they, they just, you know, so all of you just care so much and so deeply about what we're doing. And I'm always so just blown away by uh, how passionate and committed our audience and our members are. So I just want to thank everyone who's listening. Um, and you know, thank you for your support uh, thank you for being here for us and um, we're going to do our best to, to keep fighting for you uh, in the next year and beyond you know every email I get back to my newsletter you know or a note I get about the podcast when I present one for Southeast Asian Dispatches it, it all means so much to me and yeah, I'm always blown away by people's kindness and and yeah and, and how much they do care and and different kinds of help people have extended to us. So yeah, I think we're both very, very grateful and excited and happy that we get to do this job and, and be supported by all of you. Alright. Um, thank you everyone. Thanks for listening. This is PJ and Deborah signing off for 2020 and we'll we'll see you in 2021. Happy New Year everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. Jumpa lagi.